You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 106th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 461st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, December 27th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. This week's banner moment occurred on Monday when the latest college basketball polls were released. Indiana came in at 23rd in the AP poll, one spot lower than the week before, and the Hoosiers finally squeezed their way into the coaches' poll at number 25. This is the first time that Indiana has been ranked in the top 25 in both polls since week 9 of the 2016-17 season, and it's an important step for a program that fashions itself as being not just a staple of the top 25, but one day even being back as a regular member of the top 10 which is something that Archie Miller seems to understand quite well. A few weeks back, when Indiana first cracked the AP Top 25, Miller said of being ranked, quote, long-term, you obviously would love to reestablish the ability to sort of take that for granted because that's what Indiana has been for so long, unquote. Which is true, of course, but the recent roller coaster of Indiana basketball has not led to much stability in the program's rankings. So it's nice to see Indiana get back in the rankings the week before an important neutral court game against a solid program like Butler, and then solidify that spot with a big-time win. Now, obviously, midseason rankings don't matter all that much. Heck, that last Indiana team that was ranked was actually number three in the country after the third week of the season, and they went on to finish well off the bubble, and the coach was fired. So all that matters once you get ranked is what you do next. And so far, Indiana has kept on winning. Will that continue with the onslaught of tough games to come in Big Ten play? We're about to find out. If Archie and the Hoosiers can win enough games to stick in the top 25 consistently and maybe even rise up the rankings even more, it will be one more corner this program will have turned under its new coach. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Andy and Ryan will not be here tonight, as both had family obligations to attend to, but we are fortunate enough to have one of our favorite guest hosts on hand. He is the director of the sports media program at IU. You surely know him from his starring role on Crimson Cast, the godfather of all IU sports podcasts, and he was in Durham for this year's IU Duke game with fellow friend of the show, Chronic Hoosier. Galen and I are going to Duke. He is Galen Clavio. Galen, welcome back to the Assembly Call. What is your general feeling about the IU program as the calendar gets ready to flip from 2018 to 2019? You know, before I answer that, I want to share a little anecdote. When I was in Durham uh, at that game with Chronic Hoosier, I was standing in the tunnel looking out on the floor. They, they let us in there to, to see things. And uh, an older gentleman comes up to me and he says, you're Chronic Hoosier to me. 
Uh, and, and I'm like, no, that's not me. And, you know, Chronic Hoosier is standing about maybe five <laughs> feet away from me. And the guy was confused when I said I wasn't Chronic Hoosier. And he kind of pauses and he looks back and he's like, I've seen you on assembly call. Uh, so there you go. So not only did I get misidentified, but uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that if I'm going to be identified, it's it's with this podcast. As much as <laughs> uh, no, to answer your question about the season so far, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, this is about what I expected. I, I mentioned this on Crimson Cast a couple of weeks ago, where you know I got caught up a little bit in I think the exuberance of many other people in the uh, certainly in the potosphere as far as IU basketball is concerned, as far as enthusiasm for this team and where they might be at this point in the year, and I think I jacked up my win total a little bit above where I I really in my heart had it. But this is about where I expected this team to be, young team. Uh, certainly you've got a guy in Juwan Morgan who we knew was probably going to play lights out and he has Romeo Langford's exceeded expectations. You know, the rest of the team is learning their roles. They're figuring out what they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it. And, you know, if you said, Hey, this is the record you're going to have on December 27th going into big 10, the bulk, the bulk of big 10 play, I would have been like, yeah, sign me up. Absolutely. Two losses and, uh, and really only one bad performance so far on the season. That's, that's great. I've always felt this was a grower of a team, a team that was going to develop and get better as time went by. And I think that's what we've got on our hands right now. Absolutely. All right. Well, here's what we we're going to talk about this week. I've got a few quick updates to get to. Then we're going to talk about how IU compares to the rest of the teams in the country. What are our expectations for Big Ten play? And have they changed based on what we've seen over the first two months of the season? We'll discuss minutes moving forward, Romeo's freshman season, how the team has evolved, a potpourri of topics here on this week's episode. And then we will answer your questions all of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Uh, but first, let's talk about sleep for just a minute. I need my sleep. I wasn't invited to Mensa. And that means talking about our friends and fellow IU fans at ComfortOption.com. Now, you've heard me explain how Comfort Option's revolutionary mattress store to your door service works. It's amazing, which is why if you live in India or Bloomington, you really need to check it out and schedule a free in-home visit. But Comfort Option can help you improve your sleep no matter where in the U.S. you live. And they do this with their Alpha mattress, which they ship direct, cutting out the middleman and saving you money. I know. Mind-blowing. There are different versions of the Alpha depending on your sleep style. If you're a side sleeper, choose the soft Alpha. If you're a back sleeper, choose the firm Alpha. And if you shift around when you sleep, choose the medium Alpha. And get this, they recently extended their 3090 satisfaction guarantee to the Alpha mattress. It used to just be for the in-home service, but now on any Alpha mattress you order, they give you 30 days to try it, and if you don't like it, they'll take the next 90 days to reconstruct it to your satisfaction. Still don't like it? They will take it back and refund your money. Boom. Over. Done. So stop messing around with your sleep. Don't let this be you. Do I look like I just woke up? Because I did. Go to comfortoption.com and either order your alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. And when you do it, use the promo code assembly to get $50 off your purchase. You'll also be helping to support the assembly call when you do this. So again, comfortoption.com, promo code assembly for $50 off. Thank you. Okay. So just a few quick updates, Galen, that let's hit before we dive into some stuff, because I know these are questions that are on uh, people's mind. Uh, number one is Rob Finnessy. Obviously, he's in the concussion protocol. There's been nothing official. I wouldn't anticipate anything official until Archie has a media availability ahead of the Illinois game. But just kind of the indications, little things that I'm hearing suggest 
he's going to be okay. He's kind of expected to play and that this isn't going to be a serious type issue like we've seen with Race Thompson. Are you kind of hearing anything like that or anything different uh, about his possible availability? I got to be honest, I haven't heard a word so far yeah. one way or the other on Rob. And so I'm I'm hoping that your information is correct because certainly he's played such a huge role already this season on this team. Uh, and it's tough with concussions. I mean, that we, we we still don't know so much about brain injuries and the way that people react. And I think the Race Thompson situation is a great example of that, where you just you don't know how a guy's going to react. Uh, you don't know, you know, what the the recovery time is going to be. But yeah, fingers crossed that uh, whatever is going on with Rob, as far as that's concerned, is going to clear up here in the next week or so, if not sooner. The other guys that people ask about a lot, of course, are Jerome Hunter and Race Thompson. Uh, no new information there, although it does seem positive that Race is now able to attend games. You know, and, and he's I know he's been working out a little bit more, so hopefully, you know, that gives him gets him a few steps closer. Zach McRoberts, who you know has had apparently a, a kind of a flare up of the back issue, I haven't heard anything else on him either, um, and I don't really know a timetable on when when he might be available. Have you heard anything else on him? All I've heard as far as uh, those two are concerned, I mean, as far as the Hunter thing, I haven't heard anything concrete other than the more I hear about him, the more I would question whether we're going to see him on the floor this year. And I, again, I hope that that's not the case. And then certainly it's possible there'll be a, a recovery. But man, you're already almost halfway through the season. And it's tough to come back and, and put yourself in a position where you can contribute at all. Um, you know, as far as, as McRoberts is concerned, I have heard, you know, things there where it, it it might just be a recurring condition that's going to be there a little bit like Colin Hartman last year with uh with the lower body injury situation where it just never really got better again uh nothing concrete not a medical expert uh I'm a doctor but not that kind of doctor so uh it's it's one of those things where I'm just kind of waiting and, and hoping as well as as you guys are trying to figure out what's going on but you could fool a lot of people if you wanted to <laughs> not, not with this hair length. I mean, unless I was unless I was teaching in Granada or something like that. I don't think it would work. Um, and then the other thing people ask about Keon Brooks, there hasn't really been much to report there, although I did see that he posted on Instagram. Someone asked him when he'll be committing, and he said soon. So I don't know what soon means. Uh, I've heard nothing to indicate that Indiana shouldn't feel good about it. That doesn't mean it's a slam dunk by any means. But, you know, that's one where I'm looking forward to the commitment because, like, if I had to bet money or place a wager, I would, based on, you know, just kind of reading the tea leaves, I would think that it would be Indiana, not a slam dunk by any means. But, you know, it, that's just an important commitment to, to, to get over with because hopefully it's Indiana. But if not, you want to at least be able to move on and kind of figure out what your plan B uh, is because right now it doesn't really look like there is one. And I don't have a problem with that because when you have five-star in-state players who have previous relationships with a coach on your staff, you go all in for them and do whatever it takes to get that player. And it's hard to say for sure with recruiting because most of what we know about recruiting is news filtered through sites that do recruiting for a living. Yeah. And they have a vested interest in keeping the suspense up around a recruit and their commitment. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say how much of, well, we don't know what's going to happen. And, hey, Kentucky's making a big play late for Keon Brooks. Whether that's actually smoke or whether that is – hey, let's keep the fire stoked because we want to keep people interested in the recruitment and what's going on. I still think at the end of the day, uh, just from the people that I've talked to, that, that we're going to see him in an Indiana uniform next year. But uh, it, it's recruiting. Anything could happen. So let's take kind of a macro look at this Indiana team. You know, obviously, Andy Bottoms is the official bracketologist of the assembly call, and Coach Tonsoni has done some great work with Delphi Bracketology uh, when he's here. But you 
do bracketology as well. Have done it for a long time. Um, and so you probably have a better handle on this than I do, although you've been traveling like crazy. So I don't know how much you've kept up with, uh, with national college basketball so far this year. So let me know if that's the case. But from my perspective, I thought coming into the year, ranking Indiana anywhere between 20 and 30 seemed fair. I thought that, you know, you could make an argument on either side of that. And here we are, you know, through a couple months in the season and in the computer polls, in the regular polls, Indiana's right around 23rd, 24th, 25th, wherever you look. That seems about right to me. Like, it feels like there are probably two tiers of teams nationally that are above Indiana, and I'd love to see Indiana get into that second tier as they continue to get better. But I think they've pretty firmly entrenched themselves right there with, you know, the Marquettes and the Ohio States and, like, you know, just some of those teams, which I think is progress and I think is totally fine at this point in the season. Where do you think Indiana and, – and, by the way, that would be a 4-5-6 seed potentially, you know, depending on how things shake out Big Ten-wise. So – where do you kind of see Indiana stacking up nationally right now as you survey the whole landscape? I think right now that's more or less where I'd have them somewhere in that five to six seed range. I think that they've certainly got some room to grow above that. I think that there's some things going in IU's favor. First and foremost, you know, they've only got two losses. Both of their losses were true road games, and one of them was a very close game. Uh, both of them were against teams that are you know, either in contention for the NCAA tournament or are the likely number one overall seed. Uh, if you look at Duke, and you know they've got some some other positive things on their resume. They've got a neutral site win against a Butler team that's probably going to make the tournament. They've got a road win against Penn State. Uh, they haven't lost any bad games. You know they're missing a top end victory, like a, a really solid like top level win against a team that's top 20 you know on the road or they're missing you know a top 10 win at home I think that they'll be they'll have plenty of opportunities to pick stuff like that up throughout the course of the season uh, you know but as of right now I think their overall resume would probably put them somewhere in that in that five six range yeah I could see them going slightly higher or slightly lower just depending on how the you know a, a committee would bias particular wins this way or that way but uh, I think this is about where you'd like to be if you're IU because you've got plenty of room to grow and improve your resume in what's going to be a very tough Big Ten. But you've also laid a, a bedrock where as long as you're not losing a bunch of really, really bad games, you're probably still going to be in very good shape at the end of the season, at the very least to get into the tournament. And that's really what matters. Yeah, we've got some questions coming up in segment four. You know, I think people still want to understand quadrants and, and some of those things. And so we'll we'll get to that in segment four. But can you speak a little bit just in terms of, you know, the the resume that Indiana has built? Obviously, the two conference games don't really count on the quote-unquote non-conference, you know, resume, although both of those have been impressive wins. You know, how does this compare maybe to some recent non-conference resumes that Indiana has put together and just to the other ones that are out there nationally? Well, as far as what IU's put together in recent years, I mean, you know, if you look at I'm trying to think, gosh, the the last time IU was in the NCAA tournament was 2016. And you look at that non-conference resume, they, they went into the uh, Big Ten season. They had a neutral court win against Notre Dame, which is roughly commensurate to what they have this year against uh, Butler on a neutral floor. And they also had a home court win against Creighton. They didn't have much else. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've gotten blown out of Duke, similar to this team. But that team also lost on a neutral floor to a bad UNLV team and a bad Wake Forest team. And they had literally nothing else. Like a lot of people thought that, Tom Crean had gotten like done by poorly by the NCAA com committee that year. And it wasn't the case. It's just, there was nothing on their resume. Uh, I think this team already 
has built a stronger resume than that squad had. Uh, and you can go back and look at some previous years. Uh, you know, one of the problems that Tom Crean's teams had at IU was that they just didn't give themselves a whole lot of margin for error uh, because they played a lot of games at home and they didn't generally play a lot of games uh, on the road. So, you know, you take like the previous year, 2015, when they were one of the last like seven or eight teams in the at-large field, their, their two marquee wins were a, a win at home against SMU and a neutral court win against Butler. Uh, and that was it. Like there, I mean, you know, the, even the Pittsburgh win that year really didn't even count. Uh, so that's, that's the sort of thing where I think that'll help to, to buoy IU's chances as far as getting a better seating. Cause you know, they, you add the Louisville win in with the Marquette win, you add the Butler win on the road, and then you've got already a win at Penn state. Those are going to help. I think playing 20 big 10 games is going to help because it does give you more games this year, especially against pretty good competition. Um, you know, looking across the country at some of the other resumes that people have turned in, you know, you can look at a team like Marquette, who obviously IU beat, uh, you know, they, they beat Louisville on a neutral floor. They beat Wisconsin at home. They beat Kansas State at home. Uh, they beat Buffalo at home. They've got maybe one more good win, I, I'd say, than Indiana, but almost all of their good things have come at home. So, you know, the fact that IU does have a neutral court win, I think, is, is going to help them as we move along here. Uh, and, and once you get to Big Ten play, you just you've got a lot of opportunities to rack up quality victories. Yep. All righty. Coming up on the assembly call, we're going to talk about expectations relative to how IU will fare in Big Ten play this season. Have expectations changed based on what we've seen from IU and from the rest of the conference so far this year? That is next. Stick with us here on the assembly call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts, chat mobbers, or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel. You will be privy to all of the Between Segment banner that might not make it into the radio show or the podcast edit, like the time Chronic Hoosier made this pledge about how he would respond if Indiana upset Duke and Cameron. I'll be that guy with my ass out, literally at center court at Cameron Arena. <laughs> Join us live at youtube.com slash assembly call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Galen Clavio, our special guest host uh, this week, who you know from Crimson Cast. Galen, I'd like to start out. Can you confirm or deny that Chronic made good on his pledge despite the uh, the loss at Durham? <laughs> I, I, I feel it's in my best interest to neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> That seems like the best answer at all times when the subject of chronic comes up. Just don't don't confirm or deny. Um, okay, so you and I were just talking in the break. I want to talk about expectations for Big Ten play, but there's another kind of macro topic I want to talk about. You know, everybody's very excited about the start for Indiana, eleven and two. You know, won a lot of close games as we just talked about. A lot of you know good solid resume building wins. It's been a terrific start to the season. You know, there's also a way to look at it where, you know, Indiana's won a lot of close games. And on the one hand, you know, some people look at it and say, hey, the, the bounce of a ball here or there, those could be losses. Yes, well, Indiana also has a coach that has proven that he is among the top five, six, seven percent in the nation at winning close games over a pretty long track record. So you can kind of, you know, balance that out. But also there have been some statistical oddities. You know, opponents are shooting less than 60 percent from the free throw line against Indiana. Opponents are shooting less than 30 percent from three point range. Both of those numbers probably will go up. And if, you know, those numbers were a little bit higher in a couple of the close games, you know, maybe those games go differently. Who knows? So I'm just wondering, are you at all worried about the sustainability of the way 
that Indiana is winning here as we move forward into Big Ten play? I got two ways of answering this. The first is I'm not worried about it because I don't think that the team that we've seen in November and December is going to be the team that we see in January, February, March. I think that there's going to be a natural improvement in the execution areas that are keeping maybe two, three, four points being scored throughout the course of the game by IU. So this is where you know you cut your turnover rate by 5% over the course of a month. That probably equates into a point and a half, two points per game. Well, suddenly a one-point win or a two-point win turns into a three or a four-point win, and it doesn't seem quite as close. Same thing with free throw shooting. You know, we, we've talked about that. I think that the law of averages is going to gradually get better. And again, I think that adds some points to what you're doing. The the other thing though that I'll say is I'm not overly concerned because you know what? There's luck is not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to college basketball. And just because you are on the luckier side of of things doesn't mean it's going to suddenly even out in a negative way down the stretch. You know, I, I always go back to 2012, where if you look at that luck statistic on on Ken Palm, which is a pretty simple stat, it's like here's your expected record, and then here's the number of wins above or losses below that, and that gives you a sense of how lucky, quote, or unlucky you were. The luckiest team, uh, or one of the luckier teams in the country that year, was was Kentucky who was 86th in luck. They were 38-2. and two. They won the national title. Just because they were lucky didn't mean that they weren't also good. It's and, also and a it, strange word because, yeah. I mean, you can be better than, because it kind of goes, you know, based on, okay, your efficiency margin, here's what you should do. Well, maybe you're better in clutch situations and your coach calls better play. Like, it doesn't have to be quote-unquote luck that allows right. you to perform better than that. So it's it's an odd word that he used for that uh, for that statistic. But I mean, if you if you look at luck as as a manifestation of random chance operating in your favor, then you know, the idea is everything regresses to the mean, and yet that can't be the case in a season where you've got 350-some teams. There's going to be some team that's luckier than everybody else and some team that's unluckier than everybody else, and everybody falls on, a, on some degree between here and there. And so I look at it and I say, you know what? The fact that they're able to win close games and they've demonstrated that over the course of, of the season so far is not a bad thing. We've had plenty of IU teams over the last decade that have not been able to do that, and we've all sat around and said, well, you know, darn, why can't we have a team that wins close games late? Now we do have a team that wins close games late. And it's like, well, this is not sustainable. It's like, <laughs> come on, let's just accept it for what it is and say, yeah, this team, they, they, we'd love to see them win by 20 points a game every game. It's, it's probably not going to happen this season. It's not in this team's DNA. But the fact that it's not in this team's DNA and they're still able to go in and pull off one or two or three point victories, I think that. There's no reason that's not sustainable given the personnel set that you've got on this team. I should state for the record, I agree with you. I play devil's advocate sometimes on the show, but I agree with you. The only thing I will say is, you know, I do think some of those shooting numbers that are so low for the opponents just kind of hasten the sense of urgency to fix the turnovers and fix the free throws a little bit um, as we move forward in Big Ten play when the margins are going to be so small. And that leads us into talking about Big Ten play. So, you know, we talked a lot about expectations before the season. I always said that my expectations for Big Ten play, and this was kind of before we knew that Michigan would be a top five type juggernaut, and it really seemed kind of open-ended at the top. I didn't see any reason why Indiana couldn't go into those final few games in March playing for a chance to share or win the conference. I thought that was fair, you know, to be one of those teams in the top three, four, or five. I still think that's the case. I think Michigan being so good, so good changes 
a little bit what I think about actually winning the conference. But, you know, I'm, I'm also not quite sure that they're going to finish as high as they are right now. So for me, the expectation hasn't really changed. I still think Indiana should be in that top three, four, five heading into March, you know, where unless someone, unless someone goes out and posts a ridiculous number like 17 wins, then you're sitting there with a chance to get to 15, you know, or, or 14 somewhere around there and, you know, share or, or be right there, you know, to, for, for the top couple of seeds in, in the conference tournament. What are your expectations, and has anything kind of changed from what you thought they were in the preseason? It's about where I thought it was going to be. I think my original projection on this team, this is way back in September, was I think 12-8 and in conference, and everybody's like, oh, God, that'd be a terrible season. It's like, well, it doesn't look that bad now when that's what Ken Palm has us predicted at. And, you know, winning 12 games in this particular Big Ten, which could theoretically put 10 teams in the NCAA tournament, probably only get nine, but it could be 10. That would be a, a, a decent record. I mean, 12 and 8 in the conference now gets you 21 and 10 overall, probably gets you a six seed, which is a perfectly acceptable, uh, you know, tournament seed. And, and frankly, with the sort of personnel set that this IU team has, would be a fascinating one to watch because, you know, you're matched up against a three seed and then a two seed. You'd almost rather be a six seed than a five seed in that sort of a spread. Uh, as I look at the, the conference as a whole, there's some advantages in the schedule for IU. If you read Zach Osterman's article, you know that IU plays, I think, what, six of their last nine at home. It, there is a bit of pad there at the very tail end. You get to finish with Illinois and Rutgers. Uh, you know, you only play Min or Maryland, I think, once, uh, and you, you only play Minnesota once, and you get a chance to, you know, play a couple of teams that you'd, you're interested in playing, I think, more at home than on the road. Certainly Wisconsin is, is a team like that. Uh, I think the big thing for IU is this. You mentioned Maryland. Maryland is, or excuse me, you mentioned Michigan. Back it up. Michigan has certainly played head and shoulders above everybody else. Can they sustain the level that they've had so far throughout the course of the conference? There's no reason to think that they can't. Um, and then you got Michigan State, who's obviously got a tremendous amount of talent. They've uh, almost flown under the radar so far this season simply because of how well that Michigan team has played. And yet you look at their performance, and it's been pretty impressive. You know, despite the two losses that they've got, they they've wiped the map with uh, with a couple of teams that are supposedly pretty good. So when I look at IU, it's like, how do you perform against everybody else in that next echelon? How do you perform against Purdue, Maryland, Iowa, Ohio State, Wisconsin? You know, if you can pull off, you know, only losing one or two games against that group of teams, and then split your games against the Michigan squads and win everything else. I think you're in really good, uh, a really good spot to actually contend for the Big Ten title. And even if you don't, I, I still think that this is a team that's going to be growing throughout the course of the year. Uh, and I think they're going to really hit their stride in late February, early March. Maybe too late to challenge for a Big Ten title, but certainly at a point where they're, they're hitting their sprint at just the right time going into the Big Ten tournament and then the NCAA tournament. Given reasonable health, what would qualify as a disappointment for this team in Big Ten play? You know, And given how tough it's going to be, with so many good teams. I would say, you know, if they finish 500 in conference, I think that would be a disappointment given reasonable health, given they don't lose anybody else, given they get race Thompson back and, and at least able to contribute minutes at a significant level. Uh, you know, going 10 and 10 would mean that you obviously gave away the two game advantage that you started the, the January, February, March portion of the season with in the big 10. And I think it also meant that you couldn't handle your business on the road, which I think is entirely possible with this team. You know, I, one of the things I keep trying to temper myself with as far as this IU team's concerned is they are still young. 
uh, you know, yes, you've got a, a senior leader in Juwan Morgan who's been willing you to victory, but you know, what if Juwan has an off night? He had a couple of those last year. What if what if shots just don't fall? Period. Uh, you know, what if your free throws completely you know give up the ghost in a couple of games? So you know, I think if you know going ten and ten would be disappointing. I think you're still in the NCAA tournament at that point. Uh, you know, but I would say at that point, IU did not reach their full potential for the season. We got a question from JD. He said, what Big Ten teams have you changed your opinion on most following the near completion of the non-conference season? Michigan's obviously won. I mean, you know, people like Alex Bozich picked them to win the Big Ten, looking pretty smart right now. I didn't think they would be that good. They've they've been really, really good so far. I think Ohio State is another one. You know, once again, I think people thought they would fall off with Kata Bates-Diop, you know, not being there. Um, and they've been, you know, very solid again, better than I thought. What other teams ha- have you kind of changed your mind on the most? I mean, come on, it's got to be Purdue, right? I mean, this is a team. Yeah, but that, I didn't think Purdue was going to be that good. But a lot of people did. Well, uh, uh, yeah, other maybe, people did. Maybe you didn't think they were going to be that great. But there are people talking about, you know, Purdue's a stealth Big Ten title, you know, contender. And Purdue's going to be almost as good this year, you know, because they've got Carson Edwards. And it's like, no, they're They they're lost really... a lot. <laughs> and they, that's a team that is, I don't think they make the NCAA tournament at this point. I mean, they have they have nothing on their resume. They have a two-point win at home against Maryland. That's that's the best win on their schedule right now. So uh they're they're gonna have to play significantly better to even be a factor in you know getting into the NCAA tournament period. Um I also I, I'll say this I think that I was very I was very husker skeptical going into this season and I'm still somewhat skeptical but they've at least got few decent wins on their resume. Uh, I don't think that they are the the absolute fraud that I thought that they were. So I, I look at Nebraska and I say, yeah, Nebraska, you're you're probably all right. Uh, you you're going to be a team that I'm a little bit concerned about playing at least in the next month or so. If you ever start a Nebraska sports podcast, please call it Husker Skeptical. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know why I would I mean, start such a podcast, but I might. You started it. a lot of podcasts, so I'm I just agree. saying. If it I can't, I can't argue with that. <laughs> if it happens, please make that the name. Um, any other thoughts on on Big Ten play as it starts? I mean, I, I will just say I am really looking forward to the Big Ten schedule. I mean, I think it's going to be there's going to be carnage. It's going to be a bloodbath. I I actually think that folks who have audiences are going to have a real responsibility during Big Ten play to help keep people keep people's perspective because we are going to lose games in Big Ten play, and it doesn't mean that we're not good, and we may take, as you said, you know, six, seven, eight losses, and that's not going to be necessarily bad just because of how deep the conference is. But I'm uh, looking forward to it. I'm going gonna, gonna to make a, a bit of a, an out-on-a-limb uh, hot take projection here. I don't Ooh. think Michigan's going to win the Big Ten. Oh, I, don't, I actually don't think Michigan is as good as everybody is claiming that they are. Yes, they're fourth in Ken Palm, but if you look closely, yeah, at well, their Purdue's resume, top twenty in Ken Palm. So, well, yeah, if you look closely at their resume, they have a blowout win at a Villanova team that has really struggled to do anything of note this year. Like, look at Villanova's resume; they have one win that seems halfway decent at this point. Um, they, yes, they had a nice win at home against the North Carolina team that just got blown out on their home floor by Kentucky, who hasn't exactly lit the world on fire. They blew out a Purdue team that's probably not going to make the NCAA tournament. And then they barely beat Northwestern at Northwestern. And Northwestern's fine. I just, you look at the rest of Michigan's resume, I, I don't see a team, I mean, as good as they've been, they're still only projected to go 15 and five in Big Ten play on Ken Palm. That's, 
that's an indicator of something to me. So yeah. uh, I, I look at I look at where we are going into this season. I actually think it's a lot more wide open than than people would think it is. Um, and actually, you know, now that I now that I look at the there's, there's a discrepancy in the projection here on the main page for Ken Palm. They've actually got Michigan and Michigan State both projected at 14 and six. And they've got what one, two, three, four, five, six teams between 14 and six and 12 and eight in conference. So I think it's a lot more compressed than than currently it looks like just because of the way the polls have distorted things. It's going to make it fun. It's going to be wild and wacky, but it is going to be fun. All right. Uh, coming up in our next segment, we're going to discuss a potpourri of topics, including how we expect minutes to shake out moving forward, Romeo's freshman season, and the biggest changes we've seen from the team so far. That is all on the assembly call. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Gavin Clavio from Crimson Cast, our special guest host this week. Remember that if you are a serious IU Hoops fan, you need to be subscribed to our free IU Basketball email newsletter. You will get our weekly news roundups as well as our uh, in-depth post-game analysis emails the morning after every IU game. There's a high-level operation going on out there. And joining is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses. Can we get some basketball, please? All right, back to talking basketball. So, uh, Galen, we're going to hit kind of a potpourri of topics here. Uh, and the first one that's hit is how will minutes shake out? Uh, as, as we kind of move forward, you know, we saw some strange things with minutes in the Central Arkansas game and the Jacksonville game. You know, Demise Anderson got to play a lot, um, you know, because Zach McRoberts was out. You, know, you had the injury to Rob Finnessy. And then obviously we got to see more of Clifton Moore and more of Jake Forrester than we normally do because those games got a little bit out of hand. But certainly I think you go back to the Butler and Louisville games when Indiana was mostly at full strength when you had Zach and, and Devontae getting in there for about 20 minutes a game. Those games seem like a little bit of a closer proxy to how minutes might shake out moving forward, but we also don't know how healthy McRoberts is going to be and what Race Thompson coming back might mean for that. So as you kind of project forward, what do you think the minute distribution will start to look like? Well, I think, assuming Rob Finnessy is healthy, I think that there's going to be four players regularly averaging probably 60% or more of minutes every night. So I think certainly... Finnessy, Langford, Morgan, and Al Durham. You know, to me, those are the four players that have demonstrated that they aren't taking that much off of the table when they're out there consistently. They're not turning the ball over that much. They're able to score. They're able to play defense. I think if Justin Smith can get it together, particularly from a turnover perspective, he will move into that that fifth position where he'll play the majority of minutes. Like I think, and when I say majority, I mean beyond the fifty percent of minutes right now. He's playing about, I think, 55% of available minutes. I think that would climb up to, to 60 or so. I think that Archie Miller, as a coach, has a natural tendency to shorten the bench and extend the minutes of his best players. It's just a matter of, can I keep you on the floor? Uh, and, and I think you look at what you know, Justin Smith can do. If, you know, all he needs to do is, if he can stop turning the ball over as much, and if he can convert some of those possessions into at, at the least neutral possessions or, or hopefully assist or scoring possessions. I know this is like, yeah, great. Let's also ask for a pony, but uh, you know, if he can do those things, you can suddenly justify playing him more minutes. And that I think opens up 
a lot more options for Archie Miller to strategically use Deron Davis, to strategically use Devontae Green, to strategically use Evan Fitzner and Demise Anderson in ways where they're not being exposed, they're not being put in positions that they can't play properly or, or you know, are, are you know, put in positions where they're struggling. Uh, and I think that's going to be the key. So I look at those, the four guys I mentioned, plus Justin Smith in an idealized situation as the guys who are going to be on the floor the most. I still have my questions about Devontae Green and how many minutes we're actually going to be able to get out of him long term. Uh, I still have questions as far as the turnover situation with Devontae, and I think that that ultimately is what takes him off the floor in most games. If he can cut down on the turnovers, he would certainly be a guy that you could count on for you know 40 to 50 percent of minutes a night. It's interesting that Justin Smith played 24 and 31 minutes in the Butler and Louisville games. You know, higher level athletes, bigger game, and he played well. Like I think you're right to your point. I think Archie wants him to be a guy taking that many minutes. That if he can count on him to play 30 minutes a game, awesome. I mean, it's it's not a you know it's not a bad thing when one of the best athletes on your team can be counted on to play 30 plus minutes. You need that. What I think is going to be interesting is how things kind of shake out with Al and Devontae. You know, Al played, I think, 18 minutes in one of those games, 22 in another. We've really seen him have some performances where he's kind of disappeared and been a total non-factor. Others, you know, where he's played better. You and I, I think, differ a little bit on Devontae and how we project him moving forward. I am encouraged by what I've seen from him. You know, I think he's had 16 assists and four or five turnovers over the last three or four games. Like it's gotten better. And I don't think it's just been like a numbers mirage. Like I think there have been times where you see him about to make a play that he would have made before. And maybe it's because Archie is literally barking at him like while he's about to make the play and he pulls it back. But he has seemed to be a little bit more under control, a little bit more willing to swing for singles and doubles instead of home runs. And I think that's important. And, you know, he's gotten a shooting percentage up. I think in a big time Big Ten game, a big atmosphere against a tough physical team right now, I would trust him more than Al, actually. And that's not to say that Al can't get there, but I just think it'll be interesting with those two guys who becomes kind of more, and maybe it's always, you know, kind of one of them alternating and, and you you can't necessarily hope to get a great performance from more than one of them. But I think that'll be really interesting because you're going to need a third guard. And I think we know what we can get from Romeo for the most part. We expect Rob to be solid. You're going to have to have one of those guys playing well um, in, in every game. And so I just, I'm, I'm, and I know it's dangerous, but I'm starting to feel a little bit more confident in Devante and maybe the maturation we're seeing with him as a junior. Maybe. My big, my, my big <laughs> thing with Devante is he uses so many possessions and so many of the possessions that he uses are turnovers. Uh, you know, his, his turnover percentage against the whole schedule isn't great. It's about 25%, which is you know, it's one it's in every yeah. four possessions that he uses. And it's even worse against the top 100 teams that I use played. It jumps to 30%. Yeah. Uh, and that's what worries me is that, yeah, his, his numbers have looked better in the last two games because IU was playing against Central Arkansas and Jacksonville. Uh, but, you know, you take those teams off the table, you take, you know, Chicago State and Montana State off the table – he just has not shown that against athletic competition that can play defense, he can consistently make the passes that he needs to make. He tends to work himself into bad situations. I hope he gets more consistent. I hope he gives, gives the ball away less because he really is a key. I think he is one of the two players, along with Justin Smith, that are the, they're the borderline basically between IU being a good team that has a good season and IU being a very good team that has the potential to have a breakout sort of season. And so – uh, those are the guys to me that are going to make the most 
most difference as far as this IU team's concerned over the course of the next 18 to 20 games. I will I will just say about Devontae, you know, last year he was actually better against better competition. His turnover rate went down, was actually under 20 against better teams. So we'll see with a bigger sample size if that continues. The other thing I do like about him that I think is worth saying is he's finding ways to contribute beyond just points. He's rebounding better. His steal rate is up. Like he's doing some other things this year. That just, again, if, if you're looking for reasons to think maybe he's turned the corner to be a player you can trust more, it, it, it you know, he's doing some of those other things that you'd like to see from a guy. So, look, we'll see. We, we know, you know, with a guy like that, you've got to wait and see, and there's probably going to be a step back, two steps forward, that kind of thing. But I do think things feel just a little bit different right now, and I think he'll be much better served when Rob comes back being able to play off the ball some against better teams. I think that'll help him too. Let's talk about Romeo Langford. Um, because, you know, look, we're really going to miss him when he's gone, and I know everybody wants to dream about him being back for another year. He's not going to. He's going to go to the NBA, as he should, after this season. So we've got him for a few more months. What have been your impressions of him so far, and what do you kind of project? Like, how much better do you think he can get here as we move forward the next few months? I am unapologetically on i'm not only on the romeo langford train i'm i'm on the i am indignant that you're not on the romeo langford train train which i don't know if that's actually a train if you're not you're not saying that to me because i am no i know you are but there there's been some people that have have you know said well actually and i'm like no just stop I, i think he's been outstanding and as far as how good he can be you know it's one of those things where i i would anticipate he is got as good of a chance as anybody to get progressively better as the season goes along. I mean, he's already been outstanding. He's shooting 62% from two on on the course of the season. You know, he's got a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio, and he's only turning the ball over on 14% of possessions, which is incredible given the amount of time the ball is in the guy's hands. Uh, He's got the highest usage rate on the team. He's, you know, certainly – he has not had a good season from outside the arc. He's he's only shooting 21% from three. I'm okay with that because he does so many other good things and it's, you know, he's being smarter about his threes. He's, he's taking them when he's wide open. Uh, He's not taking a lot of contested threes. He's, he's focusing more on trying to get the ball inside. He's doing a great job of getting other people involved in the offense. And I think that that's really helped other players on the team, whether it's Juwan Morgan or whether it's Al Durham uh, in getting into their offensive games. Yeah. So from the standpoint of how much better can he get, you know, when I look at what he's doing right now, I think he could be a better defender. Uh, you know, he, he could certainly, with his athleticism, I think he could he could force more steals. He could force more turnovers. He could uh, probably do a little bit of a better job creating fouls uh, as far as the offense is concerned. I I just look at him and I say to myself, I don't think that this guy is, is going to wane as the season goes along. I see him getting stronger and stronger, particularly as he gets more and more confident in his body and what his body can do in close quarters offensively against, you know, what is generally speaking still a pretty stodgy big 10 physically when it comes to the post. They're not used to six, six guys, you know, slashing down there and being able to draw contact and and get up and get to the rim with, with regularity. So I really think that, uh, you know, as the great thing about him is he can be the focal point of the offense one night, not be the focal point of the offense the next night. And, you know, there might be an isolated person or two on Twitter that's unhappy about it, but he seems perfectly fine with it. Mm-hmm. And that is going to do nothing but help this IU team moving forward because it's, it's, it creates a positive atmosphere on the team as a whole. And when your, your best and most talented players, both him and Juwan Morgan, 
are promoting that sort of an atmosphere, I think that that's a rising tide that raises all boats. Is he a completely unique comet streaking through the IU universe, you know, that his freshman season, or is there anybody or any season that you, that it reminds you of, or that you somewhat compare it to? Gosh, he, he's, he's a very unique player in IU history. Like he's, he certainly is reminiscent in terms of the way that he plays of like sophomore year Oladipo, but that was a different sort of thing because Oladipo was, uh, he was, a, he was, I guess a more forcefully athletic player. I don't think Oladipo was more athletic at the time than, than Langford is now, but, but it was a different sort of deal. Uh, Eric Gordon certainly had, I think a huge impact on IU as a freshman, but he was again, a different sort of player. Um, like the closest guy I can think of to to what he's bringing to the table is like what freshman year Jared Jeffries brought to the table, and, and I feel like freshman year Jared Jeffries got lost to the sands of time because it was it was the interim year for Mike Davis, and there was all the fallout from Knight getting fired, and and I, there were a lot of people that weren't fully in on that season, and you know it it we missed what was a very very good freshman year by a unique athlete, a guy that we just hadn't seen at IU in a long time. So if that would be my biggest comp, I guess at this point is is what what two thousand two thousand one uh, Jared Jeffries brought to that IU team. Mm, that's a good one. Last kind of topic that 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 let's hit here changes. What have been the biggest changes, improvements, you know, or, or otherwise that you've seen from the team since the start of the season? Well, I think their defense has gotten better collectively, and, and I think that that they didn't start off badly by any means. Uh, but, but I think that in, in a lot of the little areas, they've tightened things up and, you know, they've managed to get progressively better to the point now where they're a top 20 defense. And I'd be shocked if they fell out of being a top 20 defense the rest of the way. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's after getting defensively annihilated at Duke, they're still a top 20 defense. Uh, you know, so that's, that to me, the biggest thing, I think the other thing that's been really impressive from, from the beginning of the year until now is they they do look to me to be more willing to uh, you know assert themselves in in post areas, uh, particularly with the basketball. I, I think that to some degree there was still a lot of feeling around as far as what they thought they were supposed to be doing offensively, and I'm not totally sold on what this team does offensively yet. I, I still think that there's a lot of smoothing out that needs to be done in terms of how they handle their sets and the way that they go about things. But it's not just Juwan Morgan throwing himself around in the post now. I think Romeo Langford, I think Justin Smith when he's on, uh, and, and even I think some of the guards have shown that they're not afraid to take the ball inside. And I think you're seeing that manifested in how good this team is from two points. You know, And you know their overall effective field goal percentage is fifth in the country. And it's largely because I think they've figured out that a lot of their opponents have not known how to defend them inside 18 feet. Uh, and so I'm really satisfied with how they've improved in that area. Um, and, you know, cert- you didn't ask me this, but but certainly if they could just somehow figure out a way to play good basketball in the first four minutes of the game, uh, that that would be something that I would love to say, hey, that's the thing they've improved on the most when we get around to March. And you say, hey, what did they improve on the most in Big Ten season? Like, that's the big thing the big missing piece as far as this team's game by game play is concerned. But, but as of right now, I think their abilities from, from two points uh, range on the inside. And then also their just the tightening of their defensive approach has really been impressive to me. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. I felt like we had an amazing conversation on all levels. Thank you for that, Coach. Can all I, right. I say one thing real quick that, that I think is really important to keep in mind. Everybody was worried about the pack line defense and three-point percentage. Yeah. Last year, IU allowed 36.7% from three. They were 267th in the country. This year, 29.7% from three for opponents. They are 37th in the country. Uh, in that statistic, and, and I don't anticipate that's going to somehow drop off a lot. This is a really good team defending on the perimeter, uh, and, and I think, again, it's uh, it's a testament to Archie Miller and the defensive uh, coaching that this team's gotten that they're able to do that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up in our final segment, we answer your questions, including an explanation about the quadrant system and Ken Palm, which are often discussed, but still not entirely clear to some fans. So we're going to discuss that. That is next. Stick with us on the Assembly Call. You are listening to the Assembly Call. We are wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. I'm Jared Morris here with our special guest co-host, Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. And Galen, we've got a short final segment here, a couple of questions to get to, so let's hop right into them, try and knock these out. Uh, Lee wants us to explain the quadrant system and Ken Palm in simple terms. Simple okay. terms. Do you want to do you want to tackle the quadrant system? Because yeah. that they're still using that, right? They're still using it. It's pretty simple. Like the the simplest way I can describe it is the NCAA when they're doing their selections, they don't look at every game as being of equal worth. They look at if you beat a team at home, that's going to be worth less than beating a team on a neutral court, which is going to be worth less than beating a team uh, on the road. So the quadrant system, a quadrant one. There's four quadrants because that's what quadrant means. A quadrant one, that's the best sort of win. If you beat a top 30 team at home, if you beat a top 50 team on a neutral court, if you beat a top 75 team on the road, any win of that caliber is a quadrant one win. And then it goes down the list. Like quadrant two, if you beat a team from 31 to 75 at home, 51 to 100 neutral, et cetera, et cetera, that's quadrant two. So the idea is how you know how good were your wins and it's not just hey you beat the number 43 team in the net it's well you beat the number 43 team in the net on the road which is a better win than if you'd beaten them at home hopefully that helps yeah and then sally actually sent a question that's related to this so she wants to know do they use the opposition team's ranking at the time they play or do they use what their ranking is at the end of the season when they decide this and do they use the same process to consider bad losses or are they only considering wins it's well first of all it's it's the same for losses it just kind of reverses itself uh and the the well the, the way that it works is if you have if you lose at home to a top 30 team that's going to be a quadrant one loss i mean the, the game's a quadrant one game whether you win it or you lose it as far as the question about where the ranking matters it's where the team ends up at the end of the year and, and that's the way to do it like it doesn't matter if you beat the number one team in the country in december if they're the number 58 team in March, like it's you beat the number 58 team just because they're number one, they do take into account things like injuries or, you know, or, or like suspensions, things like that. They will take those things into account, but it's always where the teams end up, not where they were when you played. A drop of three in December to 58 by the end of the season seems ridiculous. Yet that's pretty much what the 2017 IU team did. That's basically, <laughs> Sorry, that's just, basically the trajectory of that entire season. <laughs> 
<laughs> not to bring up bad memories. All right, really quickly, you've got 15 seconds to define Ken Palm. <laughs> Ken Palm is instead of looking at, at games based upon how many points we scored or how many points we gave up, it's points per possession. So yeah. the, the idea is let's take your statistics for a game. Let's look at what you scored on your possessions, what the opponent scored on their possessions. That's called efficiency margin, the difference between what you scored and what they scored. That's the rating that we use to figure out how good or bad you are compared to the other teams. And we do that for everybody for the whole season. Very good. All right. That'll do it for us. That'll have to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us Chat mobbers. at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to Crimson Cast as well. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. Banner Mornings will be back on Monday, and our next live broadcast will be the IU Illinois postgame show next Thursday night. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. From the company that brought you Rocket Mortgage comes Rocket Pro Insight, the innovative product designed to give real estate agents control like never before. With Rocket Pro Insight, agents have full visibility into the loan status of each of their clients, so agents can stay informed on their clients' activity throughout the process and help them compete against other buyers with a verified approval. Plus, agents have the power to adjust a client's approval letter amount in real time. With the document upload feature, Rocket Pro Insight gives real Real estate agents the freedom to check a client's progress from anywhere at any time. They'll be able to send files on their client's behalf so they don't have to let paperwork hold up the process. That means agents can help their clients clear mortgage roadblocks and close on time. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate and take your real estate business to new heights. Call for terms and details. Equal housing lender. Licensed in 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Verified approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.